how you doing today, Rach? Long time. Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, it has been a long time. I'm just, you know, working on so many projects. I just moved to Washington. Nice. Um, yep, for the year, and we'll we'll kind of take it from there. But it's feeling it's feeling pretty good. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I know what I know your creative prowess and 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 your output. But mm-hmm. for those who uh, are unfamiliar with your work, how would you describe? yourself as an artist? That's a great question because I feel like I work in a lot of different mediums. I think like um, maybe the most uh, simple way to start is I like to make worlds. And so in worlds, uh, oftentimes like characters exist. And um, so I, I would say that my, my art practice is mostly been centered around mask making as a process and as a practice, um, mainly from clay. And more recently, I've gotten into casting using lots of different kinds of materials for uh, various gigs to make them more wearable, to make them stronger. But as my art practice goes, I love working with clay. So it's, uh, yeah. And then it's kind of like making different environments for uh, these masks to live in um, by way of like a photograph a lot of the time. Mm. And so it's kind of like, Sometimes it's like making scenes or making stages um, for them, which is really fun. And yeah, and then now I'm kind of making a slight departure away from masks since I've moved up to Washington, but still staying in the world of clay and thinking about it still in terms of installation and space and kind of creating a whole like habitat for these pieces to exist in. So yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Why clay? Oh man, I just love clay. It's like, I started working with clay when I was uh, in like sophomore year of high school. It was like the only elective that still had room. Uh, so I was like, eh, I'll just do that. But I mean, there's something about, you know, like I'm a very tactile person. Um, so being able to interact with with the medium in a way that feels uh, really like intuitive to me and intuitive to my hands, intuitive to my body. Um, there's so much variation you can get in clay in terms of like a clay body with like uh, some, you know, different colorings or different textures, different graininess. And, you know, it comes from the earth. And so it's also just, it feels like a really uh, organic kind of like medium to to work with um and it's very forgiving much more forgiving than wood um for me at least Mm -hmm. I have tried at wood and I still am trying but it's hard it's really hard whereas with clay it's like you can just flop it back on there you know so add some more I know I've Mm -hmm. I've always had so much respect for woodworking and it's wood is like some of the most aesthetically pleasing material out there to to live in to be surrounded by but it does seem very it's like an exercise in permanence you know you're every every scratch is going to be there until until otherwise oh my god yeah just fuck up your hands real like can i swear on the podcast of course yeah this is great lovely no filters no okay. filters here. yeah, yeah. Um, um What's mm-hmm. the best smelling clay out there? Because some clay is pretty funky. 
smelling clay yeah like is there a particular type that you know uh, like I, I think of clay class growing up mm -hmm, and in, i did mm -hmm. ceramics in high school and a lot of times mm -hmm. it's got this like peaty kind of funky swamp odor to Ooh, it i love that smell yeah <laughs> that's your jam <laughs> yeah, totally i mean same. i just like yeah i'm just like in it all the time i mean because so much of the time at least when i was in oakland um I was working out of an amazing shared studio space, but most of the time I'm working from home, uh, which means that I'm in that smell. So I think maybe something switched around in my brain a little while ago where I don't smell that peaty smell. I smell just like, you know, I don't know, creation or something. Potential. It's the smell <laughs> yeah. of potential. Yeah. Just kind of like the hot, wet frog. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a hot, wet frog. I like that. That. That'd be kind of a good tattoo idea, I think. A hot wet frog. Or just the words hot wet frog. <laughs> yeah. It's a good band name. Hot wet frog. Hot wet frog. Yeah. Um so you got started in high school. Mm -hmm. Um I forget, did you go to Drake with me? I'm always No, actually I, I went to Tam and Redwood, Tam. but but I finished at Tam. Yeah. So you didn't have Cedar Strum mm -hmm. like I did. We had a pretty legendary ceramics teacher. Um mm -hmm the 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 lore was if you could justify that it wasn't a bong <laughs> put it in the kiln but cool. you had to get creative in like you know no it's a multi-chambered va vase you know <laughs> yeah i had a, um actually let me grab it one sec So I had a good friend. It's on the right way. I had a good friend in my class and he did not meet the justifiable uh, burden of proof. And mm -hmm. uh, so he had to chop it, but uh, he then gave it to me and I, I love glazing. So I, I managed to glaze it, but uh, I've had this on my, my shelf ever since. What does it say? I don't think it helps that he wrote the killer on it. <laughs> yeah. Probably didn't help his cause of it not being a bong, but you know. That's really uh, funny. <laughs> yeah, I found this like really beautiful green glaze. Yeah, and that's um, nice. it's been my coin jar. Uh, there you, go. you know, ever since high school, still to this day. That's you know? great. Yeah, that's a nice green. I know that's the other thing about clay is like then you get into the whole realm of glazes the colors and all the variations just everything you can do with it yeah and that Great. that that kind of that surprise like you don't know what it's going to look like at, like mm -hmm. after it's fired you put it on and it's one look and then it's like mm -hmm. i remember like that feeling of excitement taking out of the kiln like what is it going to look like oh my god totally i mean this cup i didn't make this cup this cup was a gift from my friend uh it comes from down in oaxaca but like this burn variation, I believe it's from eucalyptus, mm. which is really wild. And it's just raw clay. Um, but I think it's like they toss it in with eucalyptus leaves and it just creates these like crazy patterns and colorings on it. Clay. Well, you Beautiful can, well, thing. You can do that. What got you started mm -hmm. in uh, in the mask game? Mm, I think it was, it was kind of a mistake. I mean, I've always like loved faces. I, you know, when I first started working with clay, I tried uh, my hand at the wheel, pun intended, I guess. Yeah. And I was just terrible at it. And 
of really like impatience and this is when I was a teenager so I was just very like fiery and impulsive and but then like you know making faces and trying to uh like capture emotion and capture like the depth of a person through clay just felt super compelling and interesting to me and I was working on a bust and totally like fucked up the neck of it or something and so I was like I guess I guess I'll just carve the face off of it because I want the face but this you know but the structure of it just wasn't working and then I was like oh wow that's interesting because as soon as I did that and fired it I realized that it had started its whole life mm. you know as opposed to like when you make something and you make it and it's complete and of course it's like you know someone can view it it could be like witnessed and perceived in so many different ways but with a mask there's like so much potential that's created just in its existence based on like who's going to wear it where's it going to be what kind of world are you going to make for it and I really loved that it felt like a really um like active active object to make that um had so much uh like way of like conversing with the world and you know conversing with other people and and since then it's like I've worked with you know like dancers and musicians and different photographers and depending on the scene and whoever I kind of hand it off to it becomes something entirely different which I think is just so fun and so amazing because I like don't see myself as being a performer but I like working with performers and so it's like this you know it feels like a really uh natural way to just be in that conversation I guess yeah it's certainly I know that the mask that you did for the opera Mm -hmm. that was like this you know I know there was another prat it wasn't the protagonist but to me that was kind of the star of the show it was like so mm. there was so much character that it added to the feeling and um for those of you out who don't know what we're talking about we did a family me and my family did an opera last last year that my mom and my brother wrote and produced and uh Rachel here made us this amazing like double headed mask. Uh, and yeah, it was like, I mean, the Jasper, who's an amazing performer, um, amazing actor was able to do so much with his body, but it's like having this set feature too. Um, it's amazing what you can get, what you can communicate and convey uh, even when the features are frozen in time. And um, mm. And 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 how much of the body then is is like uh, thrown through this filter of the mask, and you might be mm -hmm. doing something with your hands, but the mask, the geometry of the mask, colors every little movement uh, of the body. And I definitely, I've been, I, this week I was just editing a bunch of footage for the opera, and I was looking at the mask and Ooh. just kind of thinking about it. And um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you when you sit down, you know, how, how do you, uh, what's your process when it comes to making a mask? Like, how do you choose what kind of mask you're going to make? Or, you know, I, I remember mm -hmm. talking to you years ago and you're talking about, you know, you were in this process of using a lot of found items, walking on the beach, remember mm -hmm. a walrus mask at some point. Mm -hmm. um, how does, what does that, can you take me through that process from like ideation to, mm -hmm. uh, to the, the firing 
Mm-hmm. Well, first I want to say that was really well articulated about the opera and how Jasper moved in the mask. I totally agree with you. That was like so amazing because <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't like seen it in action. I hadn't like seen any of the rehearsals. And so all of a sudden being in that space, it was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. And again, I mean, maybe it'll come back around in this conversation, but that was mm. such a, that was such a special project to work on with you and your family, like such a huge honor. I just want to say that, but yeah, I think like as far as the process goes, I think it really depends. Um, in the case of that mask for the opera, uh, it was really like trying to feel like who that character is supposed to be. Um, and I would say that maybe like all of them kind of start like that, where it's less of like trying to articulate a vision or an aesthetic and more like trying to really gain an internal understanding of like what the character is and who the character is. And I actually don't start off with withdrawing or pre-planning anything. I'll just kind of like feel clear about as clear as I can about what who who it is and what it is. And then I'll just kind of start sculpting. And um I actually, um, my friend was over in my studio last year and was we, we did some like work nights together and he put it really well in that like, uh, it's kind of like actually uh, sketching with the clay. So I'll, I'll like have the, the raw clay in front of me and I'll kind of go through like lots of different like drawings on the actual clay of just kind of planning out how the mouth is gonna be or like the mood or like where the eyes are <clears throat> or like particular expressions and then if something doesn't feel right, then I'll just wipe it away and kind of start over. But then over time, it's just a continual building of this process. And so, yeah, so I'll start off with like a pretty huge hunk of clay and then we'll build on it. And then and then I'll take away, basically. And um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how that goes, which I like working like that. Um, yeah, I think in some ways it is a little bit, I wouldn't say it's challenging, but like trying to, you know, working with a commission, for example, it's kind of like, just trust me, just trust it's going to be fine, even though yeah. I can't show you anything right now, just just know it's, it's going to be fine. But yeah, so. That's a not an easy place to get to as an artist. I know, like, I know from my experience and, and other friends as well being able to get to that place where people are hiring you for the package of who you are, where you've, mm. where you've demonstrated that uh, your creative output, you know, is kind of take it as it is, but it's going to be great, you know? And I think mm. that articulating that, especially with commissions, you know, I know with my videography, a lot of times I'm going through editing processes where I'm having multiple people give input and it can be an emotional mm -hmm. process to to wade through yeah. opinions and perspectives and um but but we all i mean i know i i want to get to that point where it's like you're hiring hobart for what he does you know yeah. like, trust <laughs> yeah. that you know like you're gonna pay me a price and i'm gonna do my thing and i've proven through you know uh. repeated repeated process that that the art will be great but it's going to be mine and mm -hmm. 
I think that that's an important thing for every artist. We all have to find our own way to get there. And, mm, totally. um, you know, that's, it's a good place to be though. It's awesome to get to get well, to uh, striving for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's always a, a striving, you know, cause it's like, you have to meet it in the middle. Like, for example, the, with the opera commission, like I still was in communication with your mom and just making sure that like, that still felt like the right direction you know, but at a certain point, it's also like, this is just going to go where it's going to go now. You know? I guess once you fire it, you can't really, uh, really yeah. file down really. the nose or something. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. Do you, uh, what do you think is the most expressive part of the face? Like when you're making a mask, mm. is there an area that yeah. you know, really is the, the emotional center? Um. I would actually say, this is sound maybe like so heady, but thinking about, um, there's a series in my mind that calls them the blank face series. I don't know if you can conjure them in your mind, but they're just like the very like, un, they're like they don't have any expression on their faces and they're different colors and they're covered in fabric and it's kind of doing those ones for a few years. Mm -hmm. The first one that I started with doesn't have any expression at all but to me it's a very expressive character like there's no the mouth is like straight the eyes are just barely open and it's just a blank face but I think what gives that character is um like the the parts of the face in between the features if that makes sense so it's almost like like the way that like the cheeks are a little bit puffy in the way that like there's a puffiness around the eyes it I think it's like it's almost like the face the face itself has so much expression like you your face my face we'll have like the stories that we wear and kind of like the ways that we hold ourselves as human beings and we'll kind of like slap our emotions on top of that like I know how to smile I know how to frown I know how to do all these things with my features but underneath that is my face that just kind of is my face you know and it's almost like um trying to create emotion from a place that starts to look passive but then making it active you know I don't know if this makes any sense at all and I think that that's in between the features mm. I would say it's like it's like the maybe it's like the cheekbones somewhere between the eyes and the mouth I would say is where most of the expression is because I think it's like it's a part of what makes the face the face and the face is what tells the story. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank Petty. you. <laughs> see what you did there. Uh, yeah. So like the negative space actually. Ah, thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. a lot of room for manipulation and expression. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, would say I wonder if you, since making all these masks, when you see a performance, when you see an actor, mm -hmm. you know, acting's kind of like this, art of like a million little manipulations right mm -hmm. I know when I was like doing acting when you start out you think you have to like a frown has to be like this big ah you know full face thing but even like a like there's so you see like the greats and there's like a one percent change yeah. that they make conscious mm -hmm. decision it could be a dimple it could be just the way that they hold their eyes or their eyebrows exactly do yeah. you see that do you see those performances differently now that you've been 
focused on mask making? Do you ever think? I mean, that? I definitely am obsessed with faces. So, like, I have kind of a creepy and an embarrassing amount of candid photos of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, look at those eyebrows. Those, like, wow, like that fucking jaw is like wild, you know? Because I mean, I think, yeah, just like the structure of the face and how people wear themselves. And I guess in, in, and with actors, with actors, I mean, it's a little bit different. I mean, I think the way that I perceive it, it's just, it's, it's more masks that people wear, you know? So I would actually say I'm more interested in the ways that people are like seen and how they look when they don't think that they're being seen, you know, or being watched, which is why I think I'm more drawn to just people on the street and strangers and no one's ever going to see these photos by the way it's just like <laughs> my own little like secret references as I'm like you know feeling into a new character yeah the actor's license the sculptor's license um have you ever made a mask of your own face and if mm. yes has that you know how has that changed the way that you look at the shape of your face oh well I have some more heady answers for yeah. you yeah um, well, my first answer is no, but then my second answer would be maybe like every mask I've ever made is a mask of my face. Oh. <laughs> yeah, totally. But not really. No, I mean, I've never like looked in, in the mirror and been like, what is my face? It's like, sometimes I might look in the mirror and be like, how is the lip supposed to look? Or like, what is, what is this part of my mouth supposed to do? Or like, you know, just in terms of like, uh, like structural reference, but not like trying to capture me as a person. Um, so, yeah. so you're kind of like a, um, in a way you're like a DJ of the physical world. Like you sample, I'm going to sample <laughs> lips from this picture. Yeah. I'm going to sample these eyes. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I like I that. Maybe I'll change that. Maybe I'll change my Instagram update that. Yeah, you know. Wait, what did you say? DJ of the physical world. Great. DJ of the physical world. Yeah. So I feel like we could we could workshop that a bit, but there's a, there mm -hmm. is a good analogy for mm -hmm. what you do to, you know, a classic hip hop sampler mm -hmm. coming off the, the the vinyl to make something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do want to get back to the to the opera because. You know, I think maybe of all your masks, that might be my favorite one, you know, bias aside. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that hit me with that one, maybe this will resonate with you. Um, there's this feeling that, uh, trying to explain this in a way that will, that will make sense and is not just mm -hmm. super heady. Uh, <laughs> I think you know, after experimenting and traveling with psychedelics, uh, there's a new perspective that it can grant you on darkness and shadow. Mm. And, you know, growing up, we're used to these, these stories with, you know, this dichotomy of good and bad, dark and light, evil and heroic. And, when you know when you play around in that psychedelic realm you start to see these things with more nuance mm. um you know you think about like the classic 
classical demonic visages of a devil or you know i remember when i first my first couple mushroom trips i had this uh sensation where i would look at my friends faces and everyone's skin would like tint red and they would like look very demonic mm. um almost in like the the pagan sense like a, i felt like i was with a bunch of pans you know mm. and it wasn't like a scary evil thing they were still my friends who i loved but it like it changed what that look meant to me like and ever since then when i've experienced certain art that has like a dark coloring to it. Uh, it's not like scary anymore. It's more just kind of like funky and cool. And, you know, mm. I think about like going to see, remember I went and saw Les Claypool, you know, Les Claypool. Mm -hmm. And it was a Mad Hatter's ball. I think it was in high school. Me and Tony and Tommy went and uh, sure. we had a little fungus and, and we're watching the show. I had, kind of a bad trip but i was able to pull out of it in time for his set which was this like really kind of intense metal mm -hmm. dark but also like super funky and cool and in that like mushroom space i was like oh this is like not bad or evil or scary it's mm. just this like extra dimension and that's a long way of me of me going around i think you really captured that feeling in the mask mm. like the, a big mm. thing a big theme we were playing around with in this in this play or in this opera was yes there's a monster in the story and yes you know it's an intense visage and it's a scary character and it's symbolizing abuse and trauma and it's like the big dark scary monster but you know the goal the thing we were trying to do is also humanize it and, and show like that this is a person too and that this is uh you know, not just the two-dimensional mm -hmm. beast of the story that needs to be slain by the hero, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know. All that to say, I think the mask was awesome, and I think it had this kind of... Like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, like, you nailed it. Like, it's, you know, it's this, like, cool, almost like, uh, you know, no face and, and spirited away. Like, I was definitely totally. having that vibe from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about that moment in the opera um, when the actor had been wearing the mask the entire time, and then all of a sudden he took off the mask, and they're in that like meeting. I think it was a therapy session. Like, I think. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, right, right. These are like real people, you know, working through some shit. Yeah. Hmm. I appreciate you saying everything that you said about like the darkness and the light. I mean, I think that like, at least for myself in being somebody who likes to just create and is an artist, um, I personally feel like it's really important to have some kind of integration with, you know, multiple dimensions within oneself. And sometimes that stuff looks like really heavy or really dark. Um, but I think, you know, like, like what you just said, I think there's a lot to be said for like, uh, just kind of moving through those spaces as gracefully as one can and um, not being like afraid of the things or the aspects of ourselves that seem like really scary, like scary or unknown. And um, 
you know, and also finding ways to, you know, understand that and process it and uh, just, I don't know, integrate it, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, for myself, I, I definitely, I love horror movies, um, and I, like, have always grown up, like, having really intense nightmares, and um, I think, like, somewhere along the way that felt really important to kind of be, like, you know, there's a lot of weird, dark things, and those weird, dark things are not always, like, scary, you know, it's just getting to know them, I guess, but, yeah. Right. The fear is the uncertainty or the, the, I mean, from horror movies, you know, I think the most, the most powerful moments in horror movies is the shadow is the moment, where right. you, just, you know, you, you know, there's something there. Maybe it's just off screen or. Right. The, the tension. Dark. Yeah. But you don't know mm-hmm. what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie, uh, the Babadook? no no oh man it's so good it's, i'm actually probably... not a big horror movie guy but, <laughs> but well um... i don't know if i'd recommend this then but uh-huh. it, it it's like a pretty it's a pretty wonderful story that just kind of tells this really well it's like this really horrific presence inside of a home i actually don't want to give it away but <laughs> the the message of the story is kind of like this where there's like a sense of integration and so the movie ends and you're like oh mm. that was sweet that was kind of a sweet movie. Okay. Nice. Well, maybe I will check it out. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I like the thrillers a lot, but uh, mm-hmm. the slasher, I, it's funny. I didn't come to appreciate, I think, why people like them, like the feeling that people like about it, especially the classic mm-hmm. like 70s horror movies. So good. Um, and I've started to like kind of taste the vibe that people, like I can kind of identify what it is what the feeling is that Mm -hmm. because a lot of them aren't scary it's more like just this or some of them are but it's like this kind of flavor or this you know it's Mm -hmm. like similar to what i feel about sci-fi like i get a certain Mm. uh emotional response this this science fiction feeling Mm -hmm. that uh, i'm always hunting for it kind of takes me back to when i was little it's like a combination of awe with a little bit of trepidation and uh feel it in the bottom of my stomach and mm-hmm. uh, right well I mean I think I think horror movies in particular and this kind of is connected to what we were just talking about before they are so confronting on the senses and kind of like force that particular type of presence in your body where you know fear is such a primal emotion that we experience that I think horror movies have the potential to tell a much more tell a story in a much more compelling way that kind of like like commands your attention you know as opposed to other mediums of storytelling that are still you know great and fine but horror for me I'm like that's like that's really where it like kind of arrests all of your senses all at once you know and there's like so much trash out there speaking to like you know just the really good interesting artsy shit that's out there mm-hmm. and also i like the trashy horror i like yeah. it all I'm not it's a a... <laughs> different, it scratches a different itch right yeah yeah totally what's your favorite horror movie all time i mean it's so classic with the shining so good oh yeah i mean it's not even really horror it's like family drama i guess <laughs> i mean i love the shining but i would 
I think that there's like a difference between I would almost think of that as like a thriller yeah psychological thriller versus like a horror maybe I'm thinking like what I'm thinking of horror is like slasher Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah. I mean slashers are fine but I'm speaking more to like just the things that get like under your skin and in your bones I mean hereditary is a new one a newer one that that is very good I like that one a lot and that's that's horror if you feel like watching it recommend it we, me and my brother recently watched Shutter Island again. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, that one yeah. Was awesome. That's a, a good, one. good revisit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, do you? I know you've worked a lot with like animal faces for your masks. Mm-hmm. Is that was that like a particular project, or you know, how does it? Yeah. How does the animal versus human? Uh-huh. You know, is there a different approach to when you're doing those? Totally. I started making the animals, I guess I was probably like um, 20, 20, 21 maybe. And I made those up until I was 26. That was a good stretch of just making animals. I mean, part of it was just me sitting, uh, I had moved back home when I really... So I was living in Washington before and I was like kind of making some things on the side and then I moved back to the Bay Area and wanted to just get as good as I could at clay. Really, that's what my intention was. And um, I remember looking at my window and seeing a deer and kind of being like, you know, if I could just learn how to make animals as accurately as possible, then I would just get better at clay, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to put it, but I was just kind of like, you know, this feels like a really good practice. Where it's like, I just want to try to make this as like hyper realistic as possible and like capture this, this creature. And, you know, also I think moving back to California, um, it felt like a way that, you know, was me reconnecting to that place and being like present with the land and being present with like my sense of belonging there as well. Um, because, I mean, I'm still, like, so deeply inspired by nature. Like, the new stuff that I'm working on feels, like, uh, very much a conversation between me and, like, the forest out here, you know. And so I think, like, at the time, that was, like, my response to the surrounding as much as it was, like, wanting to get into the practice of, like, just making animal. Um, yeah. And that lasted for a while. And it was really fun. And then one day I was done mm. and I was like, okay, no more animals now. What was that moment yeah. like? Did it, like, it, it sounds uh, like you had like a discreet moment, uh, you know, where you, you, you felt it. Yeah. I, I was like doing commissions of like animal faces. And um, I remember I did this one commission where I just was not excited about it. And then I like went to make another animal and I was like, you know, I think I just felt that it wasn't really like inspiring me anymore. And I think like, I don't know, there's something about letting yourself evolve as an artist and kind of like letting go of of a previous aesthetic and being like, okay, I'm finished with that. You know, because I think oftentimes we can get, you know, or an artist can get known for a particular thing or get kind of stuck in an aesthetic and kind of like rise to meet the expectation that the viewer might have. It's like what kind of work you're supposed to make. And I believe it's important to like move through that and move beyond that and kind of like 
fuck it what anyone thinks I should be making. I'm just going to make what feels right to me. And um, I think that happened with the animals where it was like, I'd been doing it for so long that it just kind of felt like I wasn't really present in the process in the same way that I used to be. And I wanted to um, just see what else I wanted to make and see what else was out there. And so then I stopped doing commissions and I like gave myself a hard line where I was like, okay, no more animals. And then I just like took it to the clay. And that was when the, the blank face series happened. Mm after that and I think it was like if I wouldn't have put my foot down around the animals that new series wouldn't have occurred because I would have been like still stuck on trying to like recreate um the you know the prior thing that I was doing so yeah that's so cool like I'm really interested in this this space in between uh projects or phases like you know the cheekbones if you will if you will of yeah. your career, you know? uh yeah. i think part of it's awesome part of i think a really must feel really cool and a cool part of being an artist is having phases right rachel's mm-hmm. animal phase or the blank face mm-hmm. phase and totally. uh, i it i could see it being there being a lot of uncertainty if you've finally hit on a, a track where people are like we want this work from you we'll pay you for this thing when you have a working system, it totally. takes a lot of courage to like, you know, to break that and be like, all right, I'm going to do something else. Uh, right. Will people still be willing to pay me money for you know, I don't know. this other thing? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, because now I'm kind of putting my foot down around masks a little bit. Actually, not even a little bit, a lot of it. Kind of like, okay, no more masks. And I think if there was like a compelling um, commission that came by, like if, for example, your mom didn't reach out to me last year, but she reached out to me this year, when after I, I would have said yes to it, because that to me is a really like interesting project that I felt so good to say yes to. Um, but as far as my own work goes, uh, yeah, I'm moving on from masks now. It feels really cool and awesome. exciting. What's yeah. next? What, what's this new chapter? Um, I'm I'm still kind of working through it. I'm like very much in that active process. It's still kind of arriving to it, um, almost like day by day. Uh, but it feels like very much based in my own uh, body. And so, like last year, I I had some like health stuff that that happened, and it really kind of caused me to confront the vulnerability of my body in this way that I hadn't ever really considered with such urgency before and um it's kind of what actually inspired me to leave Oakland like I had this huge moment where I was like I think I need to leave the city for a while and go to the woods and just find a cheap place to live and exist for a little while and just kind of reassess everything reassess like the hustle and the lifestyle and you know and um and also my my art practice and I had been feeling for a really long time that I wanted to break out of the aesthetic that I was working in. I just didn't know exactly what what it was going to look like. And so I uh, started working with a somatic therapist, actually, which has been such a fucking like trippy psychedelic process. It's the best. Like, yeah. oh my God, it's just <laughs> so crazy. 
and just really like I'm just so astonished at like the information that that the body just holds you know and really like working through my own body and being present in my own process with the intention of like healing what had happened to me last year and wanting to create like a healthy environment for myself and my body to exist in and from that a new body of work is just naturally arising which is really exciting and so it's um it's body parts basically is what it is except um it's like different body parts in different uh like stages of transformation and so it's like different like like I'm making a series of chests for example that will hang from the ceiling and each chest is like a different stage of disintegration and abstraction um thinking about like the metaphors of the body and so like for this as an example you know I was like feeling into like the armor that we wear over ourselves and like what does it look like to kind of like let that melt away um yeah and so I've been like focusing in on like my organs and like my knees and my neck and just kind of working through working through the whole system um yeah and then new new pieces are just kind of happening from from this process and it's really an exciting place to be so that sounds so cool i i could see there being a lot more intention going into the staging of your pieces as well now right like i think earlier you described thinking about the set that you're Uh might make this ceramic piece but then how is it going to hang and what Mm -hmm. information can be communicated in the materials that you use to set it up or you know mm-hmm. maybe you have I don't know if you were Im- implying that there might be like multiple chests you know like you're yeah. showing a, a process rather than at one moment in time totally um, yeah seems like there's yeah, a lot exactly. you could do there to to play around with mm-hmm. yeah it's really it's exciting um so yeah yep that's awesome and and yeah and I mean communicating hand I mean there's so much of me emotion that can be communicated with other body parts too it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how that is manifest yeah, yeah totally yeah me do I don't know what it's gonna look like yet yeah we'll just kind of working through it but yeah it's mm-hmm. it's funny I was um was talking to a friend of mine just before we hopped on this um he's like a younger you know he's like 15 years younger than me, photographer. And uh, I've been kind of giving him some guidance in the professional world. Cause you know, I'm five years in and six in my sixth year, I've learned a lot about uh, how to value myself, how to communicate value, mm-hmm. how to deal with clients. And so, you know, just naturally our friendship has grown in this way where he calls me up and he's like, I'm really stressed. I don't know what to do. And it's always for stuff that's awesome, you know, like he hit me up today and he's like, he really wants to be a fashion photographer. This is his dream. He Uh goes and shoots tons of rolls of film. And he's like, you know, I just got offered this shoot to do fashion. It's going to be hung in a gallery in the city. And, you know, I I don't know how to charge. I don't know how much to charge. You know, classic (laughs) artist problem. And, uh, He's like, I don't even know if I should say yes, because what if I mess up, you know? And I'm just like, yeah. like, dude, this is, this is it. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, like this is what being an artist is. Like that, this feeling yeah. is the thing, you know? And it, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, 
you know, you know what, how I know you're going to be fine is because you care about messing mm. it up. Like mm. you're, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, are you going to try your best? He's like, yeah, of course. I'm like, that's all you can do, man. Like that's, that's <laughs> all there is to it. You found something that you really yeah. want to try your best on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that feeling, you know, you hear people that are in their fifties and sixties who are masters mm. and, and their work is like looking for that feeling again. Like mm. They've got the, to the technical level where they're like, yeah, I can make a three headed ogre mask, mm-hmm. but how do I pick the three headed ogre mask? That's going to make me scared to do it because mm-hmm. I might fail, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, just trying to communicate to him how special right. it is to be working on a project where the stakes are that high for you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and where you have to be like fully engaged in the process. Totally. And I think it's also finding that, that, that edge of your comfort and like what you know how to do, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I mean, that's like, that's where all of like the learning comes in. Right. And I also think that's like the space where we're like actual creativity happens you know because it's like if you're confronted with that edge of yourself where you don't actually know how to do the thing then you're kind of like well how do I how do I do that and all of a sudden you're like in this active process you know and then creativity is such a such an active like you know conversation between yourself and whatever else and so yeah I mean sorry my dog is barking I can't hear that no no I can't it's okay great Yeah. yeah Anyways, yeah, dogs dog. are welcome on the Bartcast. It's a okay. dog-friendly <laughs> environment, yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Do you but listen? Yeah. In... Sorry. What were you going to say? Gonna say? <laughs> I don't even remember what were you going to say. <laughs> I'm just wondering when you're working, what are you listening to stuff? Is, is Do you have intention around silence? Oh, uh, yeah. I have like a, I got like a few things. Um, I listen to NTS radio all the time. You know NTS radio, so good. It's um like DJs from around the world basically will contribute their playlists, and then there's two channels on all the time that are live, and it's just such a great way to like listen to new music. And um, so I have like a few DJs that I listen to. The Early Bird Show with Spirit Blue is like the best. I recommend it for everybody. It's just like it starts off kind of like ambient instrumental then you know then you have like some like beats in there and it's it's like it's just like a really good like kind of like flow into the late night um because I like working at night like my magic hours I would say it's from like I don't know 7 p.m if I'm lucky but I normally get started at like 9 p.m and then if I'm left to my own devices I'll work until like three in the morning and it's like really like that super juicy time and you like fall into the playlist and they're normally like two hours long. So it's like pretty good for that. Tight. Yeah. That's one of my and, main questions that I ask every, every guest. So mm-hmm. you nailed it. Thank you. Always curious about oh. people's peak creative hours. Oh, hours. cool. Yeah. 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 During the pandemic, it was like cool. Cause I was like unemployed and then I was like, how, how do I actually want to be awake and asleep? And the real answer is I like to work from 10 until four in the morning mm-hmm. and I sleep at four thirty, and I wake up at like 1130 and I was like, Whoa, this is how I am. Now I can't do that. I like try to find that middle ground, but yeah. 
yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think about that a lot, you know, being a sci-fi fan and, uh, you know, some mm-hmm. of the stories, the, the characters are like living on board a spaceship where you have like no night and day, you know, it's like, mm. so you'll have like these shifts, right. And, you know, they talk about space stations and there's like three shifts, you know, three, eight hour shifts or three 15 hour shifts and it's all artificial light. So there is no like universal day and night and everyone's kind of putting together their hours, how they choose. I've always right. said that I be- I would feel like I was born. I-, I would do very well on a 30 hour planet, you know, like mm, I could yeah. really use that extra six hours uh, in my day. So I could be like an early morning person and a night owl, you know, and still get right. my eight hours in. Yeah, um, that sounds great. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, my peak hours are like 12 to six, I'd say 12, like 12 PM in- to 6 PM. PM. Mm-hmm. I'm an afternoon guy. Hence mm-hmm. why I asked. You I was like 12 to six. Yeah. That's like wild. But <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've tried to do PM stuff, but I feel like once the sun goes down, I like, I lose a special power like i'm solar powered Mm. in a way Mm. uh and so i try to six hours is kind of my limit for Mm. for stuff i'm doing like sitting down at the house if i'm out like shooting i can Mm. shoot 10 12 15 hours and that's Mm. a lot of that output but yeah when i'm like working on editing and stuff it's it's usually i try to keep it to six for ergonomics sake and Mm-hmm. get a run in afterwards and um mm-hmm. it's funny i was yesterday i had this project i was doing i did an enga- my first engagement shoot, photo shoot for this mm-hmm. couple and i was uh just editing their photos and um in the beginning it was just quiet and then i realized it was quiet and then i've been really getting into this band have you ever heard of little feet I don't know. Maybe. Is it like kind of folky? Kind of. Yeah. It's like, I describe them as like, it's kind of like funky Southern rock country. Maybe. Maybe. Um, they sound like they're from Louisiana, but they're from LA. Okay. Uh, I know. I haven't heard them. 70s, them. 80s band. Um, nice. it, they're amazing. It's like my new favorite band. Uh so yesterday I was like, oh great, I have this time. And I just went through like all their albums. Well, not all mm. of them, but like all the ones from, you know, the 70s. That's kind of my my time of music. Uh, and it was so nice, like being engaged in this workflow. And I was so grateful to have this thing where I could be like taking in the music. Usually I listen mm. to podcasts, but like mm. taking in the music in the workflow and uh you know, it, it's a subtle, it's a subtle, a lot of times when I'm doing stuff, I'll have a podcast in my ears, probably most of my waking hours. Mm. But when I'm engaged in other like high order activities with my brain, Mm -hmm. I just end up not being able to focus on the words or the ideas. Totally. And I found that music is like an easier mind meld with with the yeah that totally makes sense i mean do you find that like words and songs does that is that something that contributes to your process in like a positive negative or neutral way Mm -hmm. 
I think when I, it, de- it depends, like when I go for a run, mm-hmm. excuse me, I really like to listen to classic hip hop, like nineties hip hop, mm-hmm. because the words and the stories I'm getting like this adrenaline rush from the music. And mm-hmm. then my mind is being occupied by the rapping mm-hmm. uh, with like, if I'm doing editing or, you know, working on stuff on my computer, I almost can't focus on the lyrics so much. And it's just the feelings, the emotion, emotional dride of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had these moments yesterday where I'm like on my computer and it's like, Ooh, like, yeah, that was good. That was a good <laughs> Yeah, <moment>. totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> I mean, it almost feels like it feels like it just lives in the same part of the brain. You know, it's like showing up to the creative process is the same place as like where we like accept music, you know, like almost like the little doorway where music comes in and like enters into your body, you know. Yeah, I, I got a question for you. Okay. Creative question. Uh, how do you deal with mistakes? How do I deal with mistakes? Uh, there's so many of them. Um, <laughs> kind of like what, which one, you know? I mean, I don't know. You just kind of roll with it. It's like, especially with ceramics, there's so many mistakes that happen because it's like, you know, like I'm firing out of a community kiln downtown and I'm like taking these really fragile pieces and kind of being like, okay, please, please do this well for me. And also like, it's going to be the way that it's going to be. And, um, you know, there's like so many factors where it's like uh, the firing and then the clay and how I'm like putting it together that uh, almost every single time there's going to be some kind of crack that comes through and it's just kind of a part of it you know it's like uh, I've like learned how to both fill in cracks um, after after the fact or it's like sometimes it's like something that I'll like integrate into a piece Um, if I catch it beforehand I'll try to repair it but I would say it's like I internally make the space for mistakes all the time. And so it's like kind of suspending the expectation that anything is going to come out the way that I want it to or expect it to. Because then when the mistake happens, it's kind of like, okay, well, how is this a part of it now? You know? And um, yeah. And then sometimes mistakes are irreparable. You know, you, you can't come back from it. It's like I was working on this, really cool mask uh a couple of years ago it was like this really big bear head I put human teeth in it and um it was for me it was for fun I think it was one of the last animals that I made and um I cast it in plaster and realized that I forgot to uh put in my my um spacing out of the name the lubricant that separates the mask from the plaster mm. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to see that ever again. (laughs) And it just sat in a block of plaster. And then right before I moved to Washington, I was like, I'm just going to fucking hammer through this plaster and see if I can get this thing out. And it shattered in like 10 different pieces. But it was just kind of like, okay, this is, this is what this is now. Yeah. You know, 
Did you put so, the pieces together? No, no. Just keep it in. Yeah, it's just it's you know it'll maybe it'll turn into something else at some point. Maybe I'll try to put this together, or maybe it'll like transform into like a different art installation at some point in time. But it's kind of like treating mistakes as a part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I I th like to think of it as the ghost in the machine. You know. Like, yes. Yeah. How for cool sure. is it that that an, the universe throws a little sprinkle of randomness mm -hmm. in your path and just you know. It's yeah. like input from the divine, you know, like yeah. stakes are input from the divine, you know. Just keeps you on your toes, you know. The uh, the Ouija board, you know, it's like mm -hmm. something moved your hand to make that slip or, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think about uh, this video I did um, last year with some friends. I don't know if you've ever been up to the strange manor in Richmond, but mm -hmm. some of the honey drops guys. And um, I set up this shot and I had this camera set up for like the route super wide. It had like a fisheye lens. It was like mm -hmm. my wide room shot. And then I had my other camera on my gimbal that was like going around and, and kind of doing all the creative stuff. And I sat down to edit it and I just hated the wide shot. I just was like, this sucks. This is, doesn't look yeah. good. I don't want this in my video. And uh, I sat with it and, you know, I have this phase. I think it translates into every type of art I've talked about on this podcast a bunch. So apologies if you, anyone out there is tired of it by now, but with every project, I have this phase that I call the wandering in the desert phase. Mm. It's like when I get home and I look at all my footage and I'm just like, I don't know what this is going to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're just like, Bleh. Yeah, like, is this even going to be something? Like, you know, oh, yeah, totally. in the beginning, it used to really rock me, you know? Like, I had mm. some projects where I was, like, depressed and couldn't look at my computer and felt like such a failure. And now it's gotten to this point where I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to go for a run, you know, like it's the wandering <laughs> yeah. in the desert phase. I'll get out of it. And that's, yeah. it feels so good to get out of it that like, I don't even dread yeah. it anymore. I don't even, the, the, the time I spend in it is much shorter and the emotional depth is much shorter. So mm. I'm looking at this footage. I realize I'm in the wandering in the desert phase. I don't know what it's going to look like. And mm -hmm. I start playing around with my wide shot. Like, well, how would I make it interesting? And I started zooming in, like digitally zooming in, which in video, when you do that, it adds a lot of noise and a lot of like artifacts, pixel, pixelation kind of thing. I started to feel like, yeah, like this, these are kind of cool, these shots, but I didn't really know like if it worked because everything in my camera was like super high definition, glossy and clean. And I, I did an edit with, a little bit of that kind of zoomed in pixelated thing. And I had my buddy Lesh over whose mm -hmm. opinion I really trust as an artist. Uh, and he was like, these shots are cool. Like, I think you should do more of that, you know, and just having another like artist who I appreciate almost give me permission, you know, mm. I like dove into it. And then I was like, you know what? This isn't like, I was thinking about it like a mistake, like, Oh, this is like, sloppy the integration of this style is like me trying to hide the stitching 
And when I flipped it in my mind, it was like, no, this isn't a problem. This is a feature of the video. Mm. I started to like think about it creatively and it actually became a, like a palette color. And I, cool. it ended up being one of my favorite videos I've ever made. And those shots are some of my favorite shots uh, wow. because they're gritty and weird and contrast the other ones. And is this video up on the internet yet? Or is it yeah, still? Yeah, it's, it's uh, on my honestly. Instagram and it's, it's on, uh, on YouTube and stuff. Um, which, which one is it? What's the name called of the it? power of family. Okay, cool. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, That's it's cool. good. And I highly recommend to have your, 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 headphones on because the music it's such a good song i uh it was a project that i didn't get paid on but when i heard the, who the band was like all these friends of mine i'm like oh that's gonna be a good i, I showed up yeah. to the shoot never heard i hadn't heard the song before but i was like i know these guys you know Bo on drums you know I'm like, oh yeah <laughs> it's gonna be good you know? <laughs> yeah yeah oh, that's really sweet uh, so it, and it yeah. ended up being you know, like I'm sure you've experienced in your life, sometimes you have these projects that aren't the ones that you make any, any money off of, but are ones that like catapult your potential or, you know, where your level's at. And I really felt like that one had this sense from the beginning, like, oh, this is like, this one's actually gonna, you know, increase mm. visibility or Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a defining piece that I get to do. Right. Um, right. Really well, does. kind of like, I mean, it kind of like, you know, begs the question around what one's metrics of success is, especially when it comes to being a, like a creative person or an artist. I think it's really important to not have success be synonymous with like the, the profit that a person is making, <laughs> because then, you know, because then it's like, what, what are, what are we doing? That's you know, the road to masochism right there. <laughs> God, I know why I'm fucking living. I'm just kidding. I love living in the woods. But, <laughs> but you know, I do think it's like finding that balance because it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the road to masochism. I'm just, I'm taking that in stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, I asked this question a lot and I'm about to ask you it, but I think that for a lot of creatives, like, I was asking, you know, my homie the other night, shout out ECP uh, of PSDSP. I was like, what does success look like to you? Like, what are you aiming for? You know? Mm -hmm. And there's like these common themes, I think for artists, which is like, you know, um, sustainability, like Mm -hmm. being able to keep doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. like recognition in your community from people that you care about, from other creatives mm-hmm. that you care about. And for me, and I think maybe this holds true for a lot of people, I want through my art, I want my art to be providing new and interesting experiences, like increasingly new and interesting mm-hmm. experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the metrics that I, you know, wealth aside, like if I can live my life and I can like get through it, survive off of my art. If it can be something that I feel like respected and recognized in my community for, and if it's like bringing in new, interesting experiences. Mm -hmm. Home run baby, you know? Yeah, totally. But I'm curious, this begs the question for you, Rachel. Mm -hmm. uh, What is your Holy grail? My Holy grail, like what's the goal? 
What's, the... what's your holy grail? What, 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 what's at the end of this quest or what's, what are you questing for right now in your life? Hmm. That is such an immensely huge question. Uh, I would say something that may sound like really open-ended and vague, but um, I think the thing that I always strive for as an artist is to match the articulation with my hands with what I'm internally trying to say. And, and I think that, um, that mixed in with feeling like I'm a little bit outside of my comfort zone. If I feel like I'm getting closer to my internal articulation and it's because I'm like edging a little bit outside of it, a little bit outside of it, a little bit outside of it, I feel like I'm on the right path. And what that looks like, I don't know. And I guess maybe the holy grail is, I don't even know what the end goal is, but I just kind of know that if I keep on following that feeling, it's going to take me where I want to be and how I want to be as an artist. So Nice. Yeah. That, that put this idea in my mind that, you know, the classic almost like trope is that, you know, success is not a destination. Oh, it's the know. journey. <laughs> But oh, it does God. feel like, to me, what you've just described gave me this idea that maybe success is like this. If you think about like a wave, mm -hmm. there's like this, uh, it's this like space that you get to live in, but you don't get to be there forever. You know, it's like mm -hmm. a transitory moment. It's like bliss, right? Bliss mm -hmm. is fleeting. Mm -hmm. and you ride the wave into it and then you get to spend some time in mm -hmm. the bliss zone and then you're back down into the normal roller coaster mm -hmm. and maybe yeah. success is like a similar thing like you you through discipline through practice mm -hmm. you're working and then the, you have these moments where you're like i'm successful yeah. and then oh here we go <laughs> well and i think i think so much of the process and this is kind of the wandering in the desert ish same thing so much of it is um just being really lean in that it's like okay now I'm in the desert and it's like I know how to be in the desert I don't know how long it's going to be but I mean and this is something I've talked with my friends or one of my friends about with a lot where it almost feels like to have this faith in yourself as an artist it's kind of like I am am I delusional you know am I just gonna am I just like totally delusional about my work and about what I want to be doing and then it's like, does it matter? You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, maybe, maybe it is like this delusional, total trust and faith in like the work that I like envision within myself and envision in my mind. And that's kind of, if that's what it takes for me to like show up to my table and show up to our practice and constantly be making something that feels like it's an integrity with my vision and my spirit, then I'll just be delusional about it, I guess, you know? Hell yeah. Um, That's the kind of delusional we need more of in the world, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah, I think every dream requires a certain amount of naivete, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's totally. actually a protective element, you know, the mm -hmm. not knowing what you don't know. If you knew what you didn't know, then, man, it would seem mm -hmm. like a lot when you'd start out on anything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
yeah and then figuring out and maybe here's another thing of success totally on the other side is figuring out how to make it work you know like figuring out how to uh make make the make it all move forward you know and so it's like like the business side of the art practice basically where it's like you know over the years being like okay now I know how to do my taxes properly like now I know how to like I like feel more versed at pricing myself or negotiating commissions or like writing a contract and I feel like I'm nowhere near where I could be in that but I feel success in terms of like I'm recognizing my growth in that as well and that's also that feels really important because of course there's like the nebulous creative process but then it's like you know how am I gonna like yeah keep keep the roof over my head you know and yeah, yeah. how do I yeah. interface with the hive mind yeah stay totally. true to my creative roots you know yeah exactly and so yeah that's also success it's like if you if you can like do that then hell yeah you know I'm not I'm not saying I can in the slightest it's like I'm definitely in like currently I'm in this like crazy middle middle place of you know I'm just moved and all the things but Right there with your sister. I know that feeling, you know, right? that's, yeah. you know, I try to remind myself uh, when I have those moments of bleakness or, you know, really it's like impatience, I would say, because mm. when you do look back at what, where you've come, how far mm. you've come, it's like, wow, I've done so much, you know, getting those mm. moments though, where you're like, why isn't it happening now? And I feel like, uh, one thing that I say to myself that really helps is like these, this mid early middle phase is like such a beautiful one. And it's one that a lot of the artists I look up to and admire, mm. they all describe it with relish and they all are like, yeah, that was, man, that was a good time. I couldn't see it mm -hmm. at the time. Cause I wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know that I'd be mm -hmm. here, but like, yeah. wow, that like so much freedom, so much, you know, Totally. Have a lot of 10 a.m. wake up days, you know, and mm -hmm. won't always be that way, but right now I'm yeah. to live that free life, you know. Nice. Yeah, it feels good. It's crazy, but it feels good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank <laughs> you so much for your time and sharing it with me and with all of us. And um, yeah. before we go, can you how can people find you and your art and your work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instagram, Ray Posey, R-A-Y-P-O-Z-I. Um, my website, uh, which is, my name is, my last name is so long. Um, just Instagram is better. And then I've got like email on there and then you can like find my website and everything. Yeah, that's <clears throat> probably, it's probably the best. Best, sweet. Best thing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and asking yeah. some great questions and just kind of rolling with the conversation. This was awesome. Inviting man. me along. Yeah, it's amazing the time warp of the podcast. Like it, it went by very quickly and it was very effortless uh, yeah, good. talking to you. So I appreciate yeah. you and your time. All you yeah. out there watching, thank you. We love you. Uh, yeah. I hope to see you soon, Rachel. Good luck on the the next phase the next for sure can't wait to i'm see sure it. i'll see you at some point in the future oh yeah all right Peace. bye